This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello everyone, just a quick interjection. Is that a word? For me... Basically, what you're about to listen to was recorded in November or December. So they might talk about just how amazing Stephen Schumacher is and and how good the ride is. Um, They might talk about Finazaz. They might even talk about Luke Cundall. Doubt it, but they might. So just to let you know, this was recorded November, December time, before um, the shit hit the fan, shall we say, and might be slightly outdated but that just affects a few little bits please enjoy and i will hand you back to the recording thank you And welcome back to another episode of My Argyle Life, brought to you by the Argyle Life Green and White Podcast. Uh, As many of you know, having listened to this series before, if you haven't, if not, uh, where have you been? This is a series that looks into the lives of of people connected to Argyle. We've been on the the terraces with many of our our great fans and great stories to tell. We've uh, even been on the pitch and in the dressing room with David Norris, as I'm sure many of you will have heard. Today we're taking a step into the club offices with former media man, Dan Cole. Uh, joining me today is also Finley Allen, who also has worked uh, with Argyle in the media and is also a contributor to Argyle Life. Uh, Dan, how are you doing this evening? Very well, thank you. How about yourself, Sam? Yeah, very good. Uh, I'm a little bit caught up in traffic coming out of work. And as you know, we're a little bit later starting than planned, but uh, other than that, doing okay. Finn, how are you? All good, thank you. Looking forward to the game this weekend and uh, yeah, hopefully get three points. Yeah, well, we we will know by the time by the time this goes out whether we have this is going out slightly later in the year. So this is the Sunderland game for context. If any of you want to place that in uh, place that in your minds, talk with some of the conversations we're going to have tonight. So, uh, yeah. So Dan, why don't you start by telling us a little bit about? Um, we'll go on to it in in more detail in a moment, and we'll go through your your life as an Argyle fan. But for, before um, we get started, for any of us anybody listeners who maybe don't know who you are. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about the job you did at Argyle um, and what your what your job role was? Yeah, of course. So um, I joined the club in, uh, well, like everyone here, you know, an Argyle fan all my life, but I joined the club uh, in January of the 2018-19 season as communications officer in a department then of two people. 
And unfortunately, that was obviously the season we got relegated. Um, and then I stayed through until uh, the summer, just as we got promoted um, back to the championship, uh, I, I moved on. So uh, what's that, four and a half years? Um, so it encompasses quite a lot of uh, quite a lot of change, uh, probably more change than at any other point in the club's history, to be honest, from um, down from, from League One that season. Uh, then we got up through through that League Two promotion with Ryan Lowe, then the COVID season, then the, the change to, to Steven Schumacher and, and that 80-point season, and then obviously the amazing title winning season last season. So uh, it was four and a half years, an amazing four and a half years, obviously a dream job, um, but it somehow feels like a lot longer because of kind of everything that, that we squeezed into that, that time period. Yeah, I don't think you could have had a much more eventful four and a half years. And obviously, we will go into that in far greater detail over the next... Um... Uh, next half an hour to an hour or so. But before we before we do, let's talk a little bit about your Argyle life growing up. So, what what was your story of getting into Argyle? When did you start going to games? Who brought you to games? Well, it was probably um, probably quite a, a common story for most most people uh, in the area around that time. I was uh, grew up in the nineties, um, just a little bit too young for my dad to take me along to Wembley, unfortunately. But I remember them leaving that morning and being furious that I wasn't allowed to go along. Um, but I kind of, the first manager I, I remember, that first sort of team I remember was was the kind of Warnock team. Um, I, I, I tried to think uh, ahead of this. I couldn't remember exactly when my first game was. The first game I can sort of vaguely remember, I think, was a home victory over York City. And I think that Bruce Grobelar was had maybe just signed or was maybe having his first game or something around that time. I'm, I'm sure that's wrong, but that, those are my memories. So sort of 96, 97. Um, then I sort of dipped in and out because I was still, you know, quite young then. Um, and then like most most people of my generation, I kind of got hooked around the time we started getting really very good. So I managed to enjoy the kind of, I think my first season with the season ticket, would you believe that the luck of it was the, um, the 0102 promotion season. And then I had a season ticket right through until sort of like you know my late teens when I went and then in early twenties when I went travelling and I went to uni and so on and um and then obviously uh, managed to managed to come and, and work for the club after so my my dad got me into it like like with most people um he worked in the in the dockyard and he kind of would dra- would drag me along to start with until I got hooked and then it was it was a family thing every weekend we would kind of build our weekends around going to Argyle away games as well I travel on the um, the Cornish supporters coaches with run by John Simmons to, to lots of those away games around that time. So, I mean, it was kind of an amazing time to really become an, a, a, you know, hooked Argyle fan because we were so good. I, I got used to us winning all the time and obviously uh, wasn't ready for the period that followed after that. <laughs> no, it, it absolutely was, Dan. And I think being of a similar age to myself, we, we both had a similar trajectory. We both started becoming addicted to Argyle during the good times and we both kind of had the slight privilege of moving away from university and doing other things during the during the maybe the decline years and for me it was the, the really awful years and um obviously then that that must have been incredible formative time to be a fan the poor Sturrock years obviously going into the Ian Holloway years and we all know how it fell apart after and so before we go into your circumstances around you getting the job what were your your main highlights to the fans who you and your favorite players during that during that era? Uh, funnily enough, because I obviously ended up um, bringing him into the media stuff at Argyle. My first kind of favourite player was Ian Stonebridge, actually, just before, uh, yeah. kind of just before we 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 picked up because he was 
He was a striker. He scored goals. Not that we scored that many in that era, but he was he scored most of them. Him and, and Paul McGregor, I think, from memory. So, um, I, yeah, I mean, he was probably my first favourite player. Uh, and then you get into that kind of oh one oh two team, and you can how are they not all your favourite? You know, there were just so many legends of, of the team. It's hard to split them, isn't it? But um, you know, a Frio obviously holds a special place in in most fans hearts you know Paul Watton as a that kind of hometown hero story thing trigger like I said you know you could you could pick them all out I had a, I had a spot uh, soft spot for Tony Capaldi as well something about left-footed players that that works for me has always worked for me so but you know David Norris who you had on you know previously just so many superstars really not just of that era but they kind of stack up against most of the greats of our club don't they 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 absolutely do. So you so you obviously went went away to university. What was um what was it that led you into the sort of uh, communications world? And is that what you always wanted to to get into, or or is that sort of something you sort of fell into maybe? Well, I think like uh, like a lot of I'm probably like quite a lot of people in that I've I was failed at actually being a footballer myself. I was useless. Um, tried my best. I think I played uh, played a little while at centre back at school. But not very, not very mobile. And then um, I, I started. I started playing tennis when I was younger. So I had decent hand-eye coordination. I was quite large, and goals were quite small. So they put me in goal at school. And uh, actually, I played with um, was a couple of years younger than than me. But um, Ollie Chenoweth, who briefly had a uh, pro deal at our goal, they stuck him outfield because he had some talent, and they stuck me uh, in goal. But I mean, I I couldn't play, but it, it was it was what I was passionate about. I could I could write. I started sort of scrapbooking and and writing up you know like match reports and so on at home this was kind of prior to i guess prior to the internet and being able to sort of post them online anywhere i just i would just write them write them in books at home and and you know take press clippings and so on and try and keep keep my own little record really of argyle and um that was always something that interested me but it's it's not it's not outlandish to say that it it was a dream job for me and it's a dream job for a lot of people so I didn't necessarily think I'd ever end up to get it. So, you know, I went and studied um, media and journalism and and um, was working at Marjon, which was where I'd studied. And I saw the job come up at the club and I thought, <laughs> I've got to go for it. But I, I thought, you know, me and everyone else in Plymouth probably and beyond. And lo and behold, I won, I won the lottery. It feels like I won the lottery and got the job and, and got in at the club, which was uh, obviously an amazing feeling. Absolutely. Very grateful for very grateful to have had the opportunity. I mean, it, yeah, I'm sure lots of people would have killed for it and never took that for granted. I'm sure. So just going on to um, that that transition then from being a, a fan to a club employee, and I actually if I remember back in the days when I was a, I was a regular poster on, on Pasotti, I know you were as well. And in fact, I think we even um, were, were involved in the same sort of charity football mm-hmm. event, weren't we, way back in 2009. So I've kind of known you on and off for, yeah. for quite a while, uh, Dan. And so how did you find that transition? Because I remember back in Pasotti, that was the days when, um, not, not that it isn't now, of course, but it was very uh, vigorous, very thriving, lots yeah. of very fu- full-blooded debate. And um, people would, would kind of have quite severe disagreements over you know, stuff to do with a football team, whether that be the players, the manager, the board. How did you feel kind of going from somebody who was a contributor online to all that discourse, for want of a better word, with, with, with all these different varying opinions to somebody who was now a representative of the club? That must have been a big step. Yeah, it's um, it's it's really it's surreal, as you can imagine, for for a bunch of reasons. Um, I, I, I wasn't, yeah, you're right. I, I did post some sort of a lot when I was younger, but I think 
there was a, a brief period in time which I didn't, which probably helped me kind of, there are a few years where I, I sort of migrated slightly out of that cycle, which is handy because probably I would have, like most people, had posted some criticism of the club from time to time or, or, or things that I didn't agree with and, and that wouldn't have uh, helped very well when uh, the club were doing their due diligence. So, um, I mean, I think, I think the biggest thing was, you know, you realise uh, how careful you have to be with everything that you say once you once you work for the club. Um, you're obviously then rubbing shoulders with people you've, to, to one degree or another, kind of idolised or, or look up to or consider sort of these mythical heroes. And now, now you're in the room with them. And I think quite quickly, well, maybe not quickly, but you do quite soon realise that the, the power dynamic is not what you think it is. So the players or the, or the staff or... or whoever actually looked to you as the media department, you, your job is to preserve and enhance the reputations of everybody who works there. So the responsibility is quite significant, really. And you'll find that I, I sort of found after time that that shift of me me going in and thinking, oh, crikey, that's, that's Derek Adams or that's whoever, you know, quite quickly that becomes them looking to you and maybe the result hasn't been great or something's going on and you really need to kind of steer the club's messaging through kind of choppy waters and, and protect everybody to, to some extent so that's quite that's quite an interesting experience going through that kind of going for, going from a supporter to a, to a spokesperson is um yeah challenging interesting yeah that's an interesting point about about the power dynamic i never really thought of it that way because i, I guess to an extent that when if a player is getting a little stick from the fans or if they've you know maybe made a mistake in the game that's cost a goal or, or whatever or there's a bit of negative media coverage they're kind of looking to you to Shield them from that to some extent. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, my, the experience. Obviously, the club was not in the was not anything close. But the club that I left in the summer, well, they don't really feel like I've left, to be honest. But <laughs> the club that I left in the summer was so different, so very different in in almost every way um, to the club I joined in January of twenty nineteen. You know, we were when I joined the club, we we were operating out of Plumer House uh, up in Crown Hill because the ground cell was being redeveloped so there weren't any offices down there there were some that the i think you, you'll probably remember that the team changing rooms were a portal cabin outside the front of the the devonport end it was it was disjointed and it was confusing and it was um i'm sorry i forgot your question <laughs> no no it, 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 uh, yes um no no i think it was just oh, about the transition the, the, from yeah, the... The rep, yeah and the, and the reputations of the players so anyway i think so obviously we all know how that season went um and I'm sure we can, you know, we can get onto that in, in specifics later if you like. But I mean, one example, and I'm sure he won't mind me saying, because we've remained quite good friends, is Scott Wooten. So um, he obviously was in and out of the team in that season. It didn't have didn't have the best of seasons personally. I think it was a kind of a combination of factors. He he, he was obviously signed to replace Sonny Bradley, who did an amazing job. The team team wasn't going very well. He, uh, he wasn't playing as much as he liked, and then and obviously. Um, I think I'm pretty sure he was well out of the picture at the end of that League One season. He wasn't getting a game. Um, he might have been on the bench, possibly. And then um, when uh, Ryan came in in the summer, obviously everything changed. And, and as we know, Scott played most of the season in the, in the back three uh, in the promotion season. And we actually did some work together. And you know, he wanted it to work, and it hadn't worked so far. And we did some work together on a pretty open interview like a, a more extent a more kind of um 
you you know you can get your kind of standard football fodder interview that goes on the website and sometimes you can get your slightly more honest ones and and we, we sat down and we, we did it properly and we talked about talked about where he felt it got gone wrong how he felt he could contribute how he wanted the fans to give him a chance really um ryan knew that he was going to give him a chance he was going to play him so it was important to, to ryan important to the squad that everybody kind of fell in behind and and gave scott another go basically and, and obviously he i think the work that we did together and obviously his performances primarily but certainly he had another chance and he contributed to a promotion winning season and um I think that's an example of where if you're working together as, as as a club and everyone's on the same page, you can genuinely make a difference to the to the perception of, of a player among the fan base. And I think by the time he left, everybody was appreciative of the contribution he made. And, and um, that maybe wouldn't have been the case 12, 18 months previous. No, I absolutely couldn't agree more. And I, and I remember there was a real sea change in opinion uh, around that time. And I, and I think, obviously, again, we'll, we'll maybe come on to the, the the kind of vibe of this era in a little bit more. But when Ryan Lowe and Andy's coaching team came in, there was that incredible feeling of refreshment and reinvigoration around the club. Everyone was so excited, even though we just got relegated. It was the most excited anybody had been going into a new season in, in probably Asia, which was mad. But, well, before we can go on to the um, the good times then, because there were an awful lot of them, it's probably... Um, would be remiss if we didn't at least touch on those those six, well, four or five months really from when you joined to, to relegation. So you said you there was, there was a team of two. Was that yourself and Rick? Would that be right, Rick? Yeah, Harris? that's right. Yeah. And um, was Robert, uh, Robert Nicol not there with you, or was him, him so left Rob, before you? Yeah. I actually came in to replace Rob because he uh, he, okay. left, uh, he left earlier that season. Obviously, he's back with us now. But uh, yeah, so I came in uh, to replace Rob. And there was a chap called Nino, who you may or may not have met, who worked um, yeah. part time with us as well. Um, but really, sm- obviously, really small department. Pretty common for for the time, but obviously, it was there. As you've seen, there's obviously been a huge shift in in uh, the importance that clubs place in their own media departments. Argo were quite; they were already going that way. I think COVID kind of moved that along a little bit more because suddenly media was the only way that you could follow your team for a season and mm-hmm. a bit. Um, but yes, it was a it was a small department. It was probably indicative of of the size of the of kind of the staffing structure of the entire club, really. Which was that there just there w- there weren't that many of us at that time. The club was in re- a real period of transition. I think off the pitch as much as on it. And I think yeah, we were we were just kind of. I think everybody knew where we were trying to get to, and it became clear in the following sort of twelve months or so when everyone got back into the the, the grandstand got finished and we got, we got back together and where it was going but I think it's really difficult to operate the football club that way so, I mean I think people have people have said as much I'm, I won't be the first person to say it but I think even Derek said he felt it had an impact looking back he, he always said he, he felt it had an impact on the way the club was able to function that season but I mean we had to a lot of those decisions obviously predated me but when I came in sort of towards the back end of the, the project the redevelopment project but they had to do something didn't they you know so I think it was kind of a period in which everyone just sort of had to to make do until um until the grandstand got done. Yeah, absolutely. So, how, what was that like? That sort of atmosphere, because I think you know it's no secret. I mean, obviously, you know, by all means, don't feel you have to play anything specific. That the, the, the Derek Adams era did not end very well. There was a bit of a a bad mood, a bit of a feeling of discontentment. I guess that made your job so much harder going into that job, knowing it was a club that was struggling and the club that where there were. There were a few problems. How, how was that holding holding that together from the media point of view in that time? Yeah, I mean it was hard. I think, uh, yeah, I wasn't 
blind to where the club was but I also believe like we had the season previous I believe that we had enough about us to get out of trouble and then obviously I came in in January and we we, we just about picked up around that time so we, we obviously beat Oxford on New Year's Day I think we beat Coventry I think Ruben Lemire scored twice we beat Coventry two on at home we put a decent run of form together and it, it really did look as though three quarters of the way through the season certainly it looked as though we were we were going to be fine, didn't it? We had we certainly had enough about us in, in the in the final third. You felt to to score enough goals to win enough games to to get over the line, and you know it was it was challenging. And I don't think it was particularly anybody's fault. The kind of the facilities at that point in time do make it do make it harder. I think we had a uh, some important injuries, and then I remember I think we beat we beat Shrewsbury at home, didn't we? I think Carey scored a last minute penalty. We won two one. Yeah, about ten games to go. And I remember looking at, we'd printed off the last 10 games. I remember looking at them and thinking, there aren't a lot of points there. You know, if both, if, if you know, I think we had three or four of the the real serious front runners at home. We had a lot of difficult games away. And I, but I remember thinking at the time, there aren't a lot of points there, but we probably only need about six. You know, we probably only need about two wins from the final nine games. And surely we'll do that. And of course we didn't. <laughs> we didn't. And it got, you know, it got harder. It got more tense. I think, I think, Possibly we lost seven in a row, something like that. Um, we had those two guilt-edged opportunities where we were winning going into stoppage time against, was it Bristol Rovers at home? And mm-hmm. we were 2-0 up at Blackpool, weren't we? And not only were we 2-0 up, but we were 2-0 up and Kerry had a free kick that was tipped onto the post at 2-0 with about three minutes to go. And uh, I remember kind of prepping the match report and writing something pithy about how, you know, next to Pleasure Beach and our girl on the holidays or something like that. And obviously it never never came to pass. And a month later, I mean, I don't think I'll ever forget Accrington. I think anybody who was involved at, to any degree in, in the stands, in the club, on the pitch would ever forget Accrington. It was just, it was we were flat. We were dead flat. But I think, I, th- I think you, you talked about Ryan's... Um, the kind of that summer where Ryan and, and Stephen and everyone came in and we rejuvenated the squad and we were back at, well, we were close to back at the stadium altogether. And there was that good feeling. But I th- I actually think that for me, the kind of one of the more uplifting weeks kind of in, in, t- in totality, actually, it's bizarre to say um, in my time working, there was a week building up to Scunthorpe when Nance got put in, and we had this kind of siege mentality, and obviously it didn't didn't work out as we'd hoped. But I think it showed what the club had the potential to to be. Or everybody, like you know, we all bought to get we all bought in together for this kind of one common goal, one week thing. We win this game, surely, surely Southend won't beat Sunderland at home. Surely a win will be enough, and we'll be fine. So let's all let's all lump in together. And you know, the stadium was <clears throat> close to full. And it was noisy and kind of the everyone got in behind Nance, who's obviously an incredibly likable character. It's really easy to fall in behind Nance anyway. But um and and I, I know we got relegated, but I left that thinking if we could harness that in some sort of longer term way, that's what the club is at its best. And um obviously in the next sort of three or four years we've really been able to to do that on a regular basis. And now now we find ourselves um back in the championship, which is just amazing. Absolutely. And um, Phil, I will bring you in a minute, because I know that we're going on now to the era where you started um, working at Argos Media, but obviously we, we all know how how things went. We did we did the job, but sadly, Southend um, 
Sunderland yeah. didn't want to help us out, did they? And Southend beat Sunderland. Yeah. Um, still hold a grudge against Sunderland to this day for that. But <laughs> but hey, we we we, end, we ended up okay. Didn't we? we certainly ended up better than Southend, so we 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 can't argue too much with that. But um, anyway, so we obviously uh, go down. We we knew already we were going to look for a new manager. That was going to be the case, irrespective of the outcome. Naturally, obviously, Derek had had been dismissed on the month, the Sunday night before. Um, obviously, it became fairly clear to. Let's be honest. It wasn't much. It wasn't a, a, a incredibly well kept secret, and that's no, no nothing against you. I'm sure. Gonna know how football world works. Agents talk to people, leak stuff to the press, but it became a fairly kind of open secret, didn't it? That, that Argyle were, were targeting Ryan Lowe as the first choice, and that was the case for a long time. It, it got a little bit dragged out, but he he eventually came in. So Ryan Lowe, very very different character to Derek Adams, I imagine. Very, and I, I should point out because I haven't been explicit on it. But... I really liked Derek. I thought he was such a great guy, just to be uh, really clear. Because obviously I, I just came in at the point in which it was all, it had all sort of just gone wrong for, for everyone. Um, he was, what you what you didn't see, you know, he, he obviously has, as as all managers do, to, to varying degrees, a media persona. Um, but off camera, I mean, he, he did everything he possibly could for the club. And I think at the time, you know, the resources and the structure wasn't available to him that it is now. Uh, you know that it is for managers now, and he he carried the club on his back in a lot of ways. I think it's probably I probably witnessed just kind of an exhaustion at the end of four years of really hard graft for him. But you know I've got a lot of respect for Derek. I'm obviously pleased to see uh, he's he's gone on and, and got a move back to Ross County, which he seems very happy with. So I'm really pleased with him. And I think it was really hard to see like a, a kind of such a character, such an Argyle. He was an Argyle bloke, Derek, if you know what I mean. Um to, to go in the way that he did was was just really, really um difficult. But um yeah, right Ryan, I think I think the thing that took that made it take longer was obviously Barry's position and the 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 legal process I think that had to had to take place there in terms of getting Ryan and Shiri out of out of their contracts or however it worked. And you know, I think it was going to be different based on whether Barry were in, in the league and so on and so forth. It was just probably a nightmare to deal with for, for legal types. But I think they they always, I think what they did was they they just sold the club, didn't they? They sold the club in a way that it needed to be sold. They emphasised all of the things we knew that were strong about the club and, and they brought the players with them that had had success elsewhere. And yeah, just it was just kind of an injection of, of energy at a time in which the club was really receptive to that anyway it was it was ready to push on and obviously we had some really difficult times in between those seasons but in the end i think possibly we may not be in as strong a position now if we had limped into another season in league 1 at the time because you you go down your squad makeup's different you're able to give chances to different types of players that maybe you wouldn't have tried in in league 1 um you, you're able to bring in players who have just won promotion from the level, um, which is quite a rare thing to be able to do. Um, and yeah, I mean, we, we immediately started to play. We played kind of really brave attacking. I mean, it was, you know, we had our highs and lows early on there, didn't we? But, um, you know, you could see what we were trying to do and, and um, players like Danny Mayer, just, they just get you off off the seat. And obviously at a time in which we'd lost Carey and, and Lemiras, we needed to replace that with something, and, and we did. And um, yeah, we 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 just got. I think we just everyone just stood a little bit taller, didn't they? And everyone just just fancied that we were going to win more games. And 
confidence breeze throughout the club and yeah they were the right appointment Ryan was the right appointment at the right time no question absolutely and um with that then going on to going on to yourself then I believe this was around the time you started working at Argyle so obviously this was the the media team starting to fill out a little bit so Finn how did you find it coming in coming into that environment and, and, and forgive me just just reiterate maybe for those who who don't know you of the listeners exactly what what your role was with Argyle Finn was it you coming in on a on, on a voluntary basis or work experience yeah, so right? well, it was yeah. like it was work experience yeah um I mean first of all I'd really like to to say to to Dan um personally that he, he's a massive reason for where I am what I'm doing now um even if less indirectly because I'm not currently doing media he gave me that opportunity like I I, I was kind of in the same position as Dan really you know a massive fan of the club and and interested in in media um and just you know really wanting to 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 give that a go and, and love football uh, you know and and also wasn't able to be a footballer as well so it's kind of the same sort of path to that so yeah basically I was doing media at college and I believe the way they worked I think it was my first article for Argyle Life it was my first podcast I'd just been on um, because I was just starting to want to do my own sort of opinion pieces fan orientated pieces on the club and um, still a contributor actually now um, to Argyle Life Nick Saunders-Smith came to me and said, do you want to start writing some pieces for Argo Life? Because funnily enough, we had just beaten Forest Green. It was it sticks in my mind, 1-0, um, Anthony Sarsovic, absolute screamer into the top corner. And um, and no, uh, that was a, an amazing day. Um, but yeah, um, on the on the field. But unfortunately, Forest Green, uh, I'm a wheelchair user, and Forest Green don't have any, I believe still now, don't have any, accessible seating in for away fans in their away end so that you have to sit in the home end and unfortunately in that game um i i i experienced some abuse because of my disability and and things and i you know i wanted to write an article about well one how things generally need to change with discrimination in football but also you know how forest green and clubs across the EFL pyramid can do better for for that, and and I believe that's still you know it's worth me pointing out. I believe that's still the case about five years later as well. Yeah, and then Dan saw that and and came to me and said, you know, I really like piece of what you're writing, and and do you want to have a go at you know doing some work experience in the media at Argyle? And it was just like a cliche, but a dream come true, you know, because it was like. You know, Argyle was and still is a massive part of my life. So it was like, yeah, let's let you know, let's try and tie these things together. And um, I, I believe Danny, I, I pretty pretty much messaged me the week before. Said, what was your college hours at the time? And I and then I came. Was it like the next week? I was already in. Like, yeah, it was pretty quick. Yeah, it sounds about right. We just had to have a chat about your Twitter account with me at the time because yeah. Was, uh... Yeah, I was I was like Dan um on Twitter at the time, you know, again quite opinionated about the club and stuff, whatever. But and and yeah, we went in there and uh and it just it was it was like a because obviously we when we were in uh you know I won't go into detail, but when we were in in the in the office, we'd obviously obviously would have lots of conversations about you know, what had happened the season before, because I was interested. It felt like it had changed so quickly in those six months. It just felt like a new time 
there was a real buoyancy. And I think, you know, to be fair to Ryan Lowe, he's the type of character who can get that out of people, can like drum up confidence in them. He's a very good motivator of people um, across the board. And yeah, I, I just, well, pretty much every every week for four or five months before before COVID happened, worked with some really good people, um, including Dan and and Rick and Megan and Nino as well. Um, I can't remember if I've forgotten anybody else. Obviously, Charlie more indirectly, but, you know, all of those people were great and I, I really enjoyed it. And uh, it was a good time to be around the, around the club. Um, and, you know, I, I only saw the good side of it, really. Obviously, I saw the difficulties of working in a media department and having to, as Dan alluded to, kind of, you know, um, sort of the reputation and the morale of the players. You are you are the the sort of public thing for that. So you've got to try and even sometimes if it's not the hundred percent true, have to have to mold a picture of that. The fans want to see that's kind of media and that's PR and whatever. Just a bit disappointed as we all were that it kind of, uh, you know, ended so abruptly. But uh, you know, I, I sort of never forget those sort of five months or whatever. Yeah, so going going into COVID then, um, that, that season, I, I agree with Dan, really, it was a bit of a lightning in the bottle that season. It, I don't think any other club has been so excited for a first season back down after being relegated as, as Argyle fans were that season. And the season was going going pretty well. It had a bit of a bit of a slow start, maybe but over the kind of autumn and winter months. We were really motoring, weren't we? And then the season stopped just, I think, just for the first time all season, we'd got on top three on points per game. And, and it, it's like a musical chair. It's like, where are you when the music stopped? Any other point in the season, if COVID had hit, and if the season had been decided in the same way, obviously they've never been decided that way in, in August, but I think at pretty much any other point in the season up to that Macclesfield game, we would not have been in the top three on points per game. And I think finally we were for the, the first time. So we were really clicking in the form at the right time. And I... It is often something that I let my 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 mind sort of wander on to and daydream about is, is how that season would have ended. I I think we'd have given Swindon a really good go for the title myself, but I, I guess we'll never know. So COVID itself, as you said, Dan, I think that was again a, a really insightful point that media during that time obviously met, you know, not, not necessarily so much those first few months because nothing was happening, but certainly when the season then resumed in September and and that weird season in League One that followed media was the way people followed their clubs and you know previously don't get me wrong you obviously still played a huge part but you were not the primary conduit for which most people followed Argyle and then you were I believe there was some before we go on to maybe how that was I believe there was a little bit of restructuring in the media team around that time I believe I believe Rick left and, and a couple of others came in is that right yeah uh, <clears throat> it was kind of, I think it was broader than um it was broader than the the media department um it was kind of more kind of holistic. So, I mean, I think if, if we go back to when COVID, yeah, uh, uh, it's interesting you, remember, you mentioned that Maxwell game, but leading up to that week, we had we had kind of clocked that, hey, this was getting quite bad and maybe we shouldn't be playing football. Maybe we won't be playing football. We had that Grimsby rearranged game in the middle of the week, didn't we? From when uh, a panel blew off earlier in the season. And, you know, we may have beaten Grimsby that day, back in November. I think it was the day of the Rugby World Cup final. Um, it was, uh, we yeah, may, I remember that. We, we, yeah. we may have beaten them then, but we were certainly going to beat them when we replayed them. Just the, the the way that we were, the form we were in, we were a much, much better team three months down the line. I think I think form-wise, we we were probably the best team in the league at that time. Maybe not over the, the entire season, but we were finishing strongly, and I think we were going to finish strongly. I, I, I know that we 
snuck in there just just this as the shutters came down um i know it's really easy to say and i've seen it in a hugely biased position but i did see them at the day to day i just thought they weren't going to lose very many games they were just they were just in such a good place the team we were playing so well we were just roll we were starting to routinely roll teams at home in particular um but yeah i mean i, I remember thinking kind of hey this isn't this isn't going to be great and, and the team the team were on the coach to uh, Morkham, I think, had, had set off. And we had to kind of, we got the announcement that I think firstly it was postponed for a short period of time and then it was postponed kind of indefinitely. And um, that interim period was so bizarre that I will, hopefully none of us ever experience it again. But I mean, at the football club, once the kind of, I can't, I can't necessarily, I can't quite recall how quickly things like furlough came into, into being, but the club went down to, a, like a few like n- not that many staff quite a lot of people were, were furloughed when there was nothing happening and so we i remember we were doing all sorts of random stuff i know i played a connect four game against exeter city um when the yeah, game should have been played i remember the football manager thing you did as we well. did we, yeah. we played games of football manager when we should have been playing when we should have been playing the actual games i think we did charlie and i just spent like there was nothing else happening and uh i think it speaks to how daft we we are but i think we made like a silly football manager promo for one of the games where you know uh, anyway it was just it was just such an odd time we were trying to we were trying to dig out every piece of archive footage of matches we had that we could share with fans to keep everyone's spirits high um the only sport if you could call it that which you can i think it was going on at the time was was fifa esports and i think the club had just partnered with an esports team to play esports. So I remember when when we used to do kind of match previews for football matches. Instead, I would call up a man who lived in Liverpool and ask him about his FIFA game tonight and put that on the website. <laughs> you know, it was just it was just a a, a really odd time. Um, and I mean, obviously, I'm talking about the silly stuff, but the 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 bigger picture was that the club, that Simon obviously put money in to ensure that the club would, would stay afloat. Um, but there were there were obviously conversations happening about what football looked like, what the club was going to look like out the other end of it, and and some decisions were were, were made and restructure took place. Um, all the while, we'd handed the stadium over to to the NHS. Firstly, um, before before it became the vaccination centre, we we were, the club was really proactive, you know, and credit to everybody involved, um, Christian, Zach, Andrew, Jamie, all all the guys who kind of got their heads together. Uh, James Greenacre as well, who's, who's not there anymore either, who went, okay, we've got this massive resource in a time of real genuine need in Plymouth. Let's do the right thing. And I know, you know, eventually it was the case that obviously we, we received some form of, of rent arrangement with the NHS on a longer term basis, but that certainly wasn't the motivation for anyone. It was kind of do the right thing. And I think the club, that was when to me obviously we'd been we'd had a successful season up to that point anyway but that felt to me when the club really was started to find its position as this like community leader community asset um where we where we kind of took our place in in Plymouth and Devon and and really led from the front in terms of you know civic engagement and so on and um aside from the results on the pitch I think that's the thing for me anyway that's the thing I'm most proud of my football club for is what it's become to, to people in the area. And, you know, we can get onto stuff later, but obviously Project 35 is the extension of that and um, all the great work that they do for, for people in the area. I think it's, for me, it's the best thing about Plymouth, to be honest. 
And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! No, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. Picture the scene. All of your mates around, you've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. I, I couldn't agree more. So, so going on to that, that season itself then, the, the experience of, I suppose in a way, it, it was an incredibly, it must have been an incredibly like, happy feeling in one way that you were sort of getting to see the team play when, when nobody else was. But in a way, it must have put an enormous amount of pressure on you on yeah. that um, it was the media team. I mean, obviously, I know that you, you wouldn't have been involved in the actual filming per se yourself, but the, the wider media operation, the yeah. Argyle TV, uh, well, it would, it would have actually still been I followed them, wouldn't it? That was pre-Argyle TV. But the you know what I mean? The, the Argyle Club media operation was was providing that that path to, for fans to watch and follow the game. So... How, how was that going around the day-to-day of that season? Because I think it was a, let's be honest, it was a bit of a weird season, wasn't it? Even aside from the from the fact that nobody, no fans were in, it was a, it was a funny old season, wasn't it? We were so good in some games and so so yeah. attacking and threatening, but but so you know leaky at the back as well. What was that season like on a day-to-day basis for you? I think I, it's it, I don't look, and I, know, I was incredibly privileged, obviously to go to the games but the privilege of the curse sometimes when you're one of about 15 people in the stadium and you've lost six nil at home to Charlton <laughs> and, and you have to go and you know speak to the manager afterwards and, and try and figure out a way to you know uh rationalize that defeat you know um that was quite hard I think I think um I think we went into the season I think there was a you know, the budget wasn't large. It wasn't large for any club at the time. But I think we were being really practical with ensuring that there would be a club. Obviously, after all the work that everybody, Sam, you know, that you did in in keeping the club afloat, it's never far from anyone's mind. Um, I know it's easy to say that, but having worked there, there is a, a genuine shared belief from everybody that works there. And, and most of them are, you know, Argyle fans, to be honest. And... Um, work incredibly hard and incredibly talented and to try and protect and build the club but it's never far from anyone's mind that we nearly lost the entire football club and there's there's no desire to ever do that again so we took a relatively conservative position I think you know I, I think you probably see in the loans that we brought in that season they were uh, quite inexperienced they were obviously all talented players but very early in their careers probably weren't commanding I'm not privy to that sort of information anyway, but they they probably weren't commanding huge salaries and it was a way to ensure we had a good 20-odd strong squad who could compete in League One. But I still think that there was kind of this factor that we just, we'd kind of um, come out of League Two, still a big club even at League One level. Bit of a bit of upward momentum, talented coaching staff, 
uh, you know, a solid sense of, of purpose and really, a really solid structure and ownership behind the scenes, we felt that we might compete, I think. But it, it sort of, it tailed off in a not dissimilar fashion to to the last league um, season at that level, except we'd already kind of got enough points on the board to be all right. But there were still some amazing highlights. I mean, I think that Lincoln game uh, that we won 4-3, where Joe scored a you know sumptuous volley from the edge of the area, you know I just remember thinking if there if there were fans in here the roof would have come off and it was just that, that would have been remembered for punching the air in, in in the press box in an empty stadium. It was just it was it was truly bizarre, you know, a really bizarre experience. And the players were running around giddy, hugging each other, but you can just hear them kind of squealing and nothing else. And you know you've been in the stadium, both of you, and they've been big historic goals is loud it's it's it's, yeah. it's like there's nothing like it you can't replicate it in kind of any walk of life and here that we've just done that against a team that should have and nearly did get promoted that year um at least i think that's the year that they lost in the playoffs but um, yeah it was yeah you know it was, a, it was an amazing game we were up we were down and then you know turned it around and that that would have found its place in one of those games that everybody talked about forever. If only there were people there, because yeah. it's not the same watching it on the screen. Uh, similarly, you know, we went up to Sunderland and won. How often does that happen? Um, and and these these small moments where you're like, wow, I'm extremely privileged to have been able to see that game in the flesh. Um, but I, but I must say that we were kind of grateful to see that season end. Um, when when we when we got into the end of it because it was we'd gotten ourselves safe I think with five or six games to go we we really had some like significantly depleted squad at that time we were, we were tired we were playing like three games a week it was it was relentless I remember there was a there was a week where I think I'm right in saying we went to Swindon and we won and then we went to Sheffield United in the cup. We lost, and then we went to Sunderland like three days later. Or well, it may not be in that order, but it was like that. It was those three games, three three consecutive away games. I could barely saw my kids from the family. Um, it wasn't a lot. It wasn't much fun for everyone, but we needed to do it because we needed to be there at the other side. Um, and the fact, you know, for, for all we talk about it not being the same, and it really wasn't. You know, it was something for people to watch at home. It was their team in some format. It was their team. Um, but obviously we were relying on technology as well and that was stressful because I think historically up to that point uh, we put a fair bit of money into renovating the suite which is now obviously doing amazing things with the Argo TV production that they've got in there but up until that season uh, it had been a sort of running joke that you would have to tweet three minutes into the game apologies <laughs> apologies for the for, for iFollow not quite working we're working on it sorry please please don't shout at us too much we're trying to fix it we never have any technical problems in our production, of course. Absolutely no <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But you know, the, the, you know, Jamie Yabsey, uh, who's the head of marketing and communications, put the business case together to get that done properly. No, no expense spared. And I mean, you, I think you can see it, it reaped its it reaped the, the rewards. And it, you know, the guys that we've got working on the, the content there and having people like Charlie Price in a permanent position at the club. It's just, I mean, it's a I'm not just saying that because I used to work with them, but I mean, the quality of the production now that I enjoy it as a fan, it's so good for the level that we're at and, and to have the people there and they're all fans. I think that helps because they kind of know, they think, and, and certainly that was what I, I felt. We 
you know what the fans are thinking because you're thinking it yourself when you're watching your team. I, I think from a fan's perspective, was it our goal for us, uh, you know, a really short period of time? There's a there's a real kind of thing that you kind of encompass when when you sort of work at the place and it, but you are you have been a fan all your life. It's like you have to do the media side of it, but don't get me wrong, you're still you're still that fan and you, you still you still have biases. You still I want to shout at the referee when it's not going well, you know. And I think you like you became quite a popular figure on sort of Argyle Twitter, um, for you to, and I, but that's because I think people could see that you were a fan, do you know what I mean? In, in the way that you tweeted, and, and that takes a real skill to sort of like be a media man, but also be a fan at the same time. When you get the balance right, like like you did and like Charlie has and, and all those people at the club now, I think that's when you get a sort of, you know, that's when you get a successful media team. Yeah, I wouldn't say that I get it right 100% of the time <laughs> no. or, or got it right 100% of the time, but I think people can see and you can see how much everyone shares in the, the thing that you want is the thing that they want. And that's really helpful. And in terms of being authentic, I guess, and being believable and looking at the club Twitter account and thinking, you know, people, people could, could, you know, by all means they'd have, have valid criticisms from time to time of the things we do, but they, they know that we were always just trying to achieve the thing that they wanted us to achieve always you know our goal was was their goal we, we weren't trying to we weren't trying to pull the you know never trying to pull the wall over it was like, I was trying to be as transparent as you could possibly be and and share as much as you possibly can without obviously compromising yourselves one way or another but really what it kind of what it comes down to is you know often I'll feel the way about the team's performance that the supporters will feel when we've won invariably I'm able to say, the same thing as, as they would. It won't be amazing. Get in there, whatever. Um, when we lose, obviously, you have to take a different position. Um, you know, we're not, we're, nobody's disingenuous and would tell you that we played brilliantly when we didn't. But obviously, we have a sympathetic, we have, obviously, we have more knowledge of, of why or more insight into why a performance might not have gone the way we wanted or what the build up was like in the week, really, truly. And, uh, and we're more sympathetic. And obviously, the players, become your friends and it's kind of your responsibility to protect them so i just i just always felt you know every every day that i turned up to work even when it when it was difficult which fortunately hasn't been that often we we all felt i'm sure everyone who still works there now does um just a, an immense privilege to be able to do that job get paid to turn up and work with your football club every day it's just um it is a dream. There's no question. It was kind of the only thing I would have ever wanted to do when I was growing up. And um, yeah, amazing, amazing opportunity. Re really interesting insights, Dan. I, I honestly feel that uh, I'm not, I don't think we say this for every guest. I feel we could talk for hours about this. I really could, but I'm conscious that we want to speed it up a little, but I'm sure I want to let you get some of your evening back. So there are, obviously we want to, we want to talk about the 101 point season and there are a couple of other bits I want to ask you at the end as well, but um, just to briefly sort of, um, whistle stop tour over the, the 80 point season where we missed out in the playoffs. Then, obviously, the the big event, I guess, from a media point of view was, was Ryan leaving halfway through to go to Preston, and obviously, the, the immediate decision of appointing Stephen Schumacher as manager. Now, the thing that struck me about that is I think that's the first time I've ever seen the club announce the appointment of a new manager before announcing that the, that the old manager had left. And mm -hmm. that's not in any way a criticism, but I thought it was absolutely genius because what it did is it turned the attention on the positive and 
sort of um, maybe killed the negative momentum that was growing. And I, I just, I remember, we all, let's be honest, we all, people talk to people, stuff going, we all knew it was happening. And I remember that um, that Tuesday afternoon, just seeing, because I have Argyle tweet notifications on my phone, seeing it pop up, and I think, right, this is going to be the, Ryan, Ryan Lowe's been given permission to talk. But actually what I saw was Stephen Schumacher has been appointed to the club's new manager. <laughs> was that a, yeah. a conscious decision to deliver the news that way? Yes, it was, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if I, I'll talk you through as much as I can. Um, we got a kind of twenty-four hours, maybe notice on it. You know, I was aware of it twenty-four. I'm sure you know. Obviously, Andrew and and Zach and the board and the, the management above me would have known sooner than that. Um, but I got the kind of brief, uh, kind of nine p.m. the night before. No, I got the brief at five, and then I got the brief to start writing at nine p.m. the night before. Um, and it, it's interesting that we were just having a conversation about everyone being fans, but the thing that struck me and the thing that struck Jamie as well, who was my boss at the time, and we, we, we chatted about the kind of positioning of the statement was actually the club has got, is, is developing a track record for making correct decisions, right? It has done. It, over a period of time, it was making the right calls. The call was made that they wanted Stephen Schumacher to be the manager. Uh, you know, looking back, however many years on now, coming up for two years on is it um you <laughs> can't argue that that was the wrong decision um so let's back ourselves and then the other thing that came into mind was um the experience that we had as fans when it took really really long time for the club to um sort of i guess like there was a real lag between the kind of rumors of holloway departing and 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 a, a decision being made or an outcome, and I think the pre I think the talk in the press from Stapleton and so on at the time was, we really don't want him to go, We're making him an offer, etc. And I just remember we all sat there, like you say, on sorry, wringing our hands, refreshing, waiting, 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 waiting for the news. We all knew what was happening, and actually we knew we knew we'd made our call, we backed our man, we we saw the qualities that Shiri had before we became the manager, and obviously they've borne out. And then some probably. Um, let's not leave everyone hanging. Let's let's. So we went. Uh, we made the call, which was endorsed kind of by the manager. Uh, sorry, by the CEO and everyone to announce Shiri immediately as soon as we had the necessary paperwork in from Preston to say yes, Ryan was going. Uh, and so that's what we did. Um, I don't think it, I don't know that it went down well everywhere, um, but that was the that was the rationale was that um and there was also this kind of view we were in and around the playoffs at the time i can't remember exactly where but we were up there obviously we were up there for the whole season uh, we had to play mk on sky in two days and i think it was really important for shiri as well it was really important for the fans to feel kind of a some closure some clarity some real clarity on where we were going i think it was really important for us to make that public endorsement of Shiri in that way to say he's our guy think no more of it we've got a game in two days and we're carrying on and obviously the club has across all areas uh, you know really strong succession planning and, and thought process that goes into all departments and, and everything and, and they identified that Shiri was the guy and you know I back their judgment and I agreed with it by the way but you know I back their judgment immensely so let's let's be brave and let's keep the season rolling and obviously you know we got so close to the playoffs but um in the end i think 
you know that was a re- that was a really competitive season. Not that the, the following one was much easier, but we managed to just carry that momentum through, which is um, incredible, really. I think from a fan's perspective at the time, I don't know about you, Sam, like on, on the outside, um, I never had a thing with me. Obviously, this is not in any way discrediting the really good job that Ryan Lowe did, but I I never had a feeling. It was like, you know, sometimes as a fan, you, you know, your club appoints manager and it's like, could be a waiting for somebody else. I never had that. I never had that feeling. Even for me at the time, it was like, it felt like the right decision just as, because I felt like we had good momentum. So I didn't want to change from that as a fan, you know? I didn't want to change from the style or anything like that. Yeah, totally. I think um, I was a little bit further removed from the players at that point. So like, I didn't know them as well as maybe I did the season before, but from what, what the conversation um, I'd had with kind of Charlie Rose is in and around them filming every day was that there very much was a, a view that not not like not a huge amount would change because um, Shiru was really really involved in the in the way that we played already. But I, I think um, I, I think what you can see is obviously I think it's I, you know I'd obviously not like to get into this position anyway, knowing both Ryan and Shiru and. and respecting them both immensely. But I think what you can see from the job that Ryan has done at Preston is that he is a good manager in and of himself. Um, he's doing an excellent job there. And she was doing an excellent job here. Um, they were both just really good championship quality managers with lots of potential. But um, certainly, um, they you could see there was just continuity from the get-go, wasn't there? And obviously, Shiri handled press and handled the occasion and handled, has handled everything else remarkably ever since but um they did just carry on that wasn't just that wasn't just kind of for the papers that was the reality of the situation they they all came in and Shiri was the gaffer now and they just kept playing this you know similarly and and got really close to the playoffs that year yeah, now the, the obviously we got close to the playoffs, and I think almost any other year that, that would have been enough to make the playoffs an 80 point total, wouldn't I think only one year in the last 20 up to then would that have not been enough? So, you know, we were we were all a bit gutted. Certainly, the, the way it ended with that, that awful loss on the final day was, was very dispiriting. But, you know, who can argue with the following season? We built back up, we, we added where we were weaker. We, we built on where we were already strong and what followed was was quite simply the most incredible season in the club's history. And I have, I have no, I don't think it's hyperbole to say that in any way. I don't really want to ask you too many questions per se about that. Because I, I, again, I really think we could be here for a good hour or two on, on that season alone, if not longer. But it, just in your words, talk us through the experience of being a core part of the club's media team during such an incredible historic season as that, Dan. I think I think the job's easy when you're winning. Like from my point of view, it was just you know, it's just became, we just became this machine, didn't we? It was it's just incredible. I agree. I think uh, uh, you know I can't speak for seasons before my time, but I it, I think it eclipses 0304 by a distance because of the, the the standard of the league, the way the finances have changed. Um, obviously, the fact that we hit triple figures, the Oh, you know, heartbreaking day at Wembley, but we got there. You know, we were just so good. But I think, I think, uh, like you said about that kind of that euphoria that came around the club, sort of the nineteen twenty season. It, it just felt like that, but possibly even stronger. 
you had all of these characters, you know, all of these guys that played for the club, but just great blokes that it's just really easy to root for the stuff that they do behind the scenes. A lot of them, you know, um, they, they kind of do it and then ask that. And from my point of view, obviously as the PR person, I'm like, Oh, we should do something on that. And they say, actually, no, I don't want the, don't want the attention. They'll go and do something for charity. They'll go and donate some stuff to a food bank and say, please don't put anything out. I just want to do this. And, you know, those are the sorts of guys that we've recruited. Those are the sorts of people that play for us and you know just seeing players like um barley and morgan and and everyone like that you know just express themselves on the pitch every day it wasn't just that we were winning games it was just playing such great stuff um and i wasn't sure you know i wasn't sure how you follow uh losing five nil on the final day and falling out of the playoffs having been pretty much in them the whole season or or in and around them um i don't know i didn't know how you followed that given the strength of clubs that we were up against, uh, you know, Derby had come down and everyone thought they were going to be stronger than they turned out to be. And obviously Sheffield Wednesday and Ipswich were incredible. Barnsley, I, I don't have the figures to hand, but I think their points total might have gotten promoted, even from fourth, historically a fair, a fair chunk of the time. Um, it was just remarkable, really, to be honest. Um, but it was that day at Derby where I thought something might happen. Um yeah, I mean, I just think we had so many of those kind of clutch games. Ipswich was a clutch game, Derby, Sheffield Wednesday, where we, I think Cosgrove should have had one of the clearest penalties I've ever seen in the 94th minute, and we still somehow go on and win that game. Just that, like every time, the Exeter game where we fall behind twice, and Barley shoots from 400 yards out and it rips the net off, you know. Um, just like any... Any one of those games could go down on merit as one of the best games that we've played. And they all happened within like a three or four minute period of each other. Barley scoring at Ipswich right at the end, you know. It was just a dream season in, in every sense of the word, you know, apart from the, the Papa John's game, which will move swiftly past, I think. Uh, I think for me that was uh, mildly diverting rather than heartbreaking. I think I'd, I'd said quite gladly I would take a thumping if we won every league game after that, which we which we pretty much did, to be fair, barring the Lincoln game. Now, um, obviously then now that seems then that you left uh, to pursue other opportunities. What's it been like now going back to Argyle as a fan? Is that weird going back into fan mode after being in after being in job mode? It yeah, it is to an extent. But I think I've, I, you know, I, I left on great terms. And I'm really grateful to, to the club for everything they've done for me and everyone I've met there. And you know, I'll never forget it. It's, it was a, a, an amazing four and a half years dream job. Um, I, I think I've been to, I managed to get to a few games this year. Obviously, I've got a young family as the recording has <laughs> spoken to, so not having to, you know, slap up and down to games every weekend and spend a bit of time at home has been has been really valuable. I owe that to my family. But um I just sort of gone back to following it pretty much like I did before. But but after a game I might text one of the players and say, nice goal mate or whatever, you know, Brian Hardy or so on. Um keep in touch with all the pals who work there. I've I, I went to the I, I sat in the uh director's box for the Sheffield Wednesday game, which was a very odd experience for me. Um uh, but I, I mean, I, I think I think when you can leave football and everything that football is, and you can leave it on good terms, on your own terms, as well. Like I'm really grateful for that because it's it's um it's not or not often that you can do that 
to be honest, football is can be quite a quite a harsh industry. So um, being back in the stands, I'm, go, I'm going to I work kind of hybrid. I'm still in Plymouth, but I work hybrid in London. So um, I'm going to get to an away game. I'm going to get to QPR in the away end, which um, it's been a while since I've done that. And obviously, that for for the most part, it's an it's it's so much better being able to be involved in the club. But sometimes when a goal goes in and at a game and you've scored a goal, what you can in that moment, you don't want to be searching for the player goal gift to tweet. You actually want to be jumping down four flights of stairs and <laughs> uh, in the away end, you know, like um, Macca's goal at Chelsea, I sort of grabbed Matt, who's the uh, marketing manager, I just grabbed his arm and went, did, did that go in? <laughs> when I looked over to 6,000 Janners going absolutely ballistic and I thought, in this moment, I'd actually rather be in the stand. Uh, everything that comes before and after that, um, it's an immense privilege to do. But I, I, f- I feel, I feel at peace with that. I feel, I feel it was the right time for me to go. It's the right time for somebody else to have a go as well. You know, um, it's an amazing job, and lots of people want to have the opportunity to do it and deserve the opportunity to do it. So, I feel like I gave it everything I could give it. I, t- I you know, I helped shape what is now an amazing, I think an amazing media department, an amazing club. Um, and um, now it's it's somebody else's turn and, and I, I'll go and do something else. But uh, yeah, just a, been an amazing time and go back to being a fan now, which is great. Absolutely. And I think um, I think everyone would agree that, that, it, that, it, that the general operation was hugely changed. And again, it is not in any way to denigrate or, or be disrespectful to people who were there before you, but it just felt so authentic. It felt like it was a... A, a fan tweeting which it was. I don't I'm not, I'm not saying it wasn't before, but I feel that the way football is going across um football Twitter accounts generally and sports, you know, same with other sports love cricket as well. It seems to be, you know, seems to go in the same way. There is that tendency to tweet like a fan on the way that really sort of emotively resonates the kind of old older school, you know, edit more slightly editorialized, more detached approach is on the way out. And I guess that was something you really consciously tried to bring in through through your time, wasn't there? Like uh, to an extent. Yeah, I think so. I think so on. I think so on Twitter specifically because that's the way that the platform, that's the way that the platform operates. It kind of rewards that. It's it's for that immediacy. So I think, um, yes, definitely. Uh, there was a there was a, a shift towards uh, communicating like a fan as best as you can. With you know, we go close to the line at times. Try not to cross it. Obviously, every now and then we got it wrong, and we'd have to just swallow that. But um, on the whole, I think you know that authenticity of of, of voice um, was it has been an aim. Um, obviously, I think if you got you know you got on the website, there's still an awful lot of really good written content there, which was definitely the focus in the kind of previous era. Um, which you know I, I still love to read personally, but I know it's not for everyone. And and when you're on Twitter looking for your um, looking for your club news or looking for your club content then you are looking for your club content probably more than you're looking to read. Um, so I think there's room for both, but certainly on Twitter, it was a conscious effort to engage, try and engage with the fans and, and really capitalise. I think a lot of a lot of the um, things I've kind of either directly or, or kind of indirectly received credit for, I, I think I benefited from being just in the right place at the right time when it was quite an easy and obvious thing to do. Um, I think obviously we made some conscious decisions that that were taken away from that, but I think broadly, um, 
I, I, I lucked in massively in, in being in the role that I was in at the point in the club's history that it was at, you know, I could, you, you could have moved for a positive story. Um, and that's still the case now, really. And I think they're doing an amazing job as is. And I think, you know, my, my personal view, we're playing the exact right way if we want to grow the club, if you want to keep recruiting players like Morgan and Bali when they obviously have other options, you know, because they're outstanding players, you have to play a style in a system where they know they're going to get opportunities to play. So like as much as I understand the rhetoric around us needing to defend better, it's not rhetoric. I mean, we would like to concede fewer goals. I think I think the last time we were at this level, I, I don't know if you agree, Sam, but it did feel like we would just try and try and nick a set piece and hang on. And that's that's the way to stay up for a year, but it's not the way to build a football club. And obviously with the new five-year plan that they've got, they want to be in the top six. So you really have to play, you really have to have an identifiable style and some reasons to come and join Plymouth Argyle over five, five or six other good championship clubs who want to sign you because those that's the market now the club is is operating in. But, you know, I can't, I can't be more positive about my time there or the direction the club's going in. And, I, you know, for, for for my part, I just want to, you know, tell anybody who's listening all the things that uh, we tell you, uh, to, to be honest, pretty true. It's an outstanding staff and culture and, and um, an amazing place to be. Absolutely, and I really hope that by the time of listening, um, some, some of the, some of that uh, slightly cavalier style of football will have really paid off, and we start winning some of these games three two or three one. Because uh, go and, and for context of the listeners, if you're casting your mind back listening to this a bit further on, we're uh, just coming off the November international break, going into the Sunderland game, where we've had so many good performances, but not not quite got the results we need. So hopefully that will change, and indeed has changed. But we've heard it now. Dan, there is one final question I'm I'm burning to ask you before I do uh, before we do call this tonight, but. It kind of relates back to something that, that you said to me um, before that stayed with me. It was when Argyle Life was sponsoring George Cooper and we were were there for a, a sponsorship event of some kind, just having a picture taken with him and that and all that sort of thing. We had a little chat walking out about, about the nature of fan analysis like Argyle Life. And and, and, I, and I remember um, it, it, was, it was relating to an article that, that we'd put out, I think it was Nick Storm Smith put it out at the time about suggesting Anthony Sarsenich should play wing-back. And, and I remember you saying that it's um, it, as great as it is, obviously it's not my job to, to say whether he should play wing-back, it's my job to say that Joe Riley's at wing-back and he's brilliant there. The, what I'm leading on to with that question is, how much of an extent is fan the growth of fan media? Because it is growing, we've got... Um, Numerous, um, you know, every 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 championship club in the league has um have a podcast. Some 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 have multiple podcasts, and you know, written articles are on the rise as well. How much of that fan media kind of opining on the ins and outs, who should play, who shouldn't play? How much of that is really a disruption or a distraction around the football club, and how much of it is just background noise? Sorry, I'm aware that question went on for about two minutes, but I hope you got the gist of it. No, no, I get it. Um, I think. Well, obviously, in my role, it's my job to read, or it was my job to read what fans are saying across the, across the board. You know, monitor it, read it. Um, probably agree with some of it, dis- disagree with some of it, as as with anything. I think um, that I think any, anybody that tells you that they don't pay attention, which obviously you probably hear quite a lot, is not strictly true. Uh, you know, they, everyone reads. Uh, if if it gets. If it, if it, particularly if it generates any sort of traction, if it's one tweet falls off and falls off the bottom of the hashtag, then, then of course maybe it doesn't cut through. But if there's anything that generates kind of any noise whatsoever, you can be sure that people have read it 
um I suppose the question is, is is around whether it permeates into the coaching staff. Is that is that a fair question? Is that a fair well, yeah, assessment? Well, uh, yeah. Well, one very interesting thing that that that, 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 that Shuey said, which which was one of the most interesting things I think he's ever said, is about when when Sam Codswell got those two yeah. late goals at Derby. He said he certainly shut a few up on Twitter, and I most don't disagree with the sentiment. They kind of um, and a couple of other things he sent into it as well. It kind of maybe not 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 unnerved me but sort of surprised me that, that the manager was so uh, think, intimately in touch with what people were saying to that to that extent you know i think with sam it was really it was really profound the the feedback that that um there was with uh, in relation to a signing i remember thinking that was you know possibly to be honest and i don't mean sort of in written analysis articles i just mean in the initial response i think the, the twitter storm you know yeah. there's no way that, that you know so, so the manager will have anyone will have a look at the announcement tweet, won't they? And then they'll just see the replies and think, bloody hell, has anybody said anything nice at all? And um, I think that's fair. I think I, because I think in the context of now, obviously, it's really easy for him to come out and say after Sam scored twice, we've come back from two 0 down. He's probably his adrenaline's off the charts, you know, at that point in time. If you, if you place the, you know a brick in front of him, he probably could have snapped it in half. Um, <laughs> But I think I think there's some I think there's obviously some merits to what he's saying. There's an awful lot of work that goes in. You know, they've got f- several full time staff members who who are taking analysing players' strengths beyond what you can see in their goals with time, beyond what you can see. But uh, you know, deep dives into data, benchmarking, so on. They identified that Sam had certain set of skills, and and you know, he clearly contributed significantly to the to the promotion. Um, so. I think that's that's probably an extreme example where, and Shiri's obviously um, he's an honest broker, isn't he? You know, he's passionate, and he, as all good managers have to, he has the courage in his of his convictions, and he he sees a response like that after, you know, an amazing sort of eighteen months plus the promotion that preceded that, and you're thinking, well, maybe have the, the message was probably. Um, have a bit of faith in what we're doing here, and I also think there's a there's a tendency to look in in you know general terms and make an assumption that Sam, for example, because he was large and a striker, was a target man. But actually, if you if you really watched his play, all of his best play was facing goal. He was so he was, far from a target man. I never felt that. Yeah, he was a complete forward. You know, he played that style. He didn't play lump it ball. So um, I still see now. You know, people refer to. The, the lack of a perceived target man and say, oh, we should have gone back in for Sam. Well, Sam's large, but he's not, or, or <laughs> he's the, not a target the man. Other, yeah, the, I mean, like... Ennis is far more of a target man in the way yeah, he used Yeah, he, he played, played, played an amazing, yeah. you know, he used his, his back-to-goal was, you know, he was far more of that player. And, you know, you see it with certain players now who I think are benefiting from the the place we, we occupy in this pyramid where, for example... Um, I think Ryan Hardy's having a, a far superior season at this level than he did last season. I thought he had a good season last season, but I think he benefits from it because his, his the the areas in which he excels are are better against teams that don't play a low block and sit back because we're the best team in the league because we're in the bottom half. They press high on us because they got more technically able players and play more expansive ways. There's more room for Ryan to run in behind. There's more room for Jordan Houghton to pick passes in a way that he wasn't able to do in congestion yeah. last season and suddenly you see different sides of players so I mean I wouldn't I certainly wouldn't I I don't have a better knowledge of, other than obviously having better access I don't have a better footballing knowledge than, than you know anybody else on Twitter for example and I might make the same assessment but 
I think it's obviously it's clear that they they've got a real a real strategy, a real plan, and we need to kind of and I, I'm I'm with everybody else now. We just need to have some faith in in the recruitment to to identify these players, and I think they've got a great track record of doing so. Morgan's Morgan Morgan playing his position. He wasn't a ten before he came to us, and now he's you know tearing it up in the championship. Barley's playing further forward, etc. You know there are tons of examples of. You know, Joe Edwards has gone from being released from a relegated League One Warsaw like Dan Scar and um, becoming, for my money, as good a captain as the, cl- as the club's had in its history. You know, it's just... I wonder what Warsaw fans must think seeing Edwards and Scar thriving so much for us with a 101-point title yeah. lead. You must be thinking, what on earth? But I'm yeah. glad you said... I know you said you've got no no more knowledge than anyone else, but it, it, it backed up. But I, I was saying at the time, we were talking about Cogsville being a target man and... Well, he's not really. I mean, you could say he's direct because he's big and strong, but really, he's a he, what he is. He, he was a poacher who happened to be six foot three and built like a built like yeah. the Rick Vermeule. You know, that, that 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 was what he what the kind of player he was. And anyway, we're, we're going to go way off track. But Dan, it's been an absolute <laughs> pleasure, absolute pleasure talking to you. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add um, before you go? No, no, just um, just kind of reiterate what I said, really, which is that um, it's been an amazing place to work. Uh, you know. An amazing part of my life, I'll never forget it. Um, and um, it, you know, the club is full of amazingly hardworking, talented people who are trying to make in, the entire supporter base, supporter base proud, and trying to build the club and take it as far as possible. And I think, as much credit as, as the the top dogs deserve, and they do because they've been transformational for the football club. I think it, it permeates through kind of everyone. And I just wanted to point out that these guys are unbelievable it's there's never been a, i don't think there's ever been a stronger era for the, for the football club and and um yeah i'm just grateful to have been a part of it and and to get to reminisce on some good times with you chaps which um yeah has been fantastic so thank you no yeah no i feel we've kind of only just scratched the surface if ever you want to, if you haven't got any more stories you want to tell us i'm sure we could could put you back in but but uh either way dan it's been an absolute pleasure thank you so much finn thank you for Thank for you. joining me as well and yeah, yeah I, I hope the listeners enjoyed that as much as i think we all enjoyed recording it so thank you very much and goodbye bye oh here we go stop recording that would be a, a hope wouldn't it away days are great but there's nothing quite like playing at home the same goes for mcdonald's maximize your home ground advantage with mcdelivery order now on the mcdonald's app at participating restaurants 18 plus serving times delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonald's.com and there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.